You're listening to Speak Loud, resilient stories of triumph and hope, helping you to turn your past into fuel for your best future. Here's your host, founder of the 501c3 Share, providing resource and support for trauma victims, and a survivor herself, Tiffany Barnes. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Speak Loud podcast. As always, I'm your host, Tiffany Barnes, and thank you for joining me here today. I have been looking forward to this interview for weeks, you guys. I cannot wait. I have an amazing lighthouse in front of me. Well, I wish she was in front of me. We're actually on Zoom today, but her name is Hildegard Hunig. Did I say it right? Yes, you as did. best as I can, yes. I guess. I, I really yes. didn't want to mess that up. Uh, she immigrated here in Utah from uh, or to Utah from Venezuela with her family as a teenager. She is a proud mother of two amazing individuals who teach her so much about the importance of being yourself and the barriers that LGBTQ plus community face in a daily life. Hildegard, we're going to call her Hildy today. Uh, obtained her paralegal certificate from Weber State University, after which she began her career at Legal Aid Society of Salt Lake City, working closely with victims of domestic violence. She is, she is a survivor of domestic violence and sexual abuse, which stoked in an already burning passion for giving voice to those who have been silenced and allowed her to stand for human rights issues. She has worked for the YWCA of Salt Lake City at the Salt Lake City Prosecutor's Office as the Diversity Witness Coordinator, the Salt Lake City County District Attorney's Office, Utah Domestic Violence Coalition, and as the Community Liaison with the Salt Lake City Mayor's Office. She is currently employed by the Utah Office for Victims of Crime as the Outreach Language Access and Civil Rights Coordinator. Additionally, she is a co-founder and president of a foundation, Inc. Against Cancer Foundation. Inc. Against Cancer Foundation, excuse me, is a unique 501c3 uniting national, statewide, and local artists of all mediums together to raise cancer awareness and financial assistance to support cancer warriors, especially children while they go through their cancer journey with their day-to-day needs. Wow, I cannot believe I've got this powerhouse in front of me. Oh, Without you. further ado, please welcome Hildy. Yes. <laughs> that goes wild. I'm so stoked. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. That's just how I'm like, whoa. <laughs> You're like, who is that? I can't wait to meet her. I oh, know, wait, like, that's oh. me. <laughs> no, well, thank you, you for the opportunity. Absolutely. I could not pass this up. Uh, We were introduced by a mutual friend. Actually, I'm a realtor and a fellow realtor of mine at my brokerage. uh, We got to talking and she says, you have to have Hildy on your podcast. And she just talked so many great things about you. And then I read it and I'm like, okay, this is a no brainer. (laughs) So tell me, I mean, there's so many things I want to talk about, but first let's start with the burning question. I ask everybody that comes on the show, what are you here to speak loud about? Well, I'm here to speak loud for the voices of domestic violence survivors um, and those individuals that were victims of a crime um, and also um, for cancer warriors, too. So, yeah, two things. (laughs) Hey, I feel lucky we have two great things to talk about. I know we're a little bit limited on time today. I wish we could talk for hours. So let's start with your journey. Uh, It sounds like you've been through some abuse yourself. So let's talk a little bit about that. Obviously, we want to keep it surface. We don't want to dive too deep. We don't want to trigger anyone, of course. But tell me about your journey in overcoming domestic violence and sexual abuse in your own life. Oh, my goodness. Um, so sexual assault um, happened to me when I was a, a, a child in the Caribbean, um, in Venezuela, like in that area. Um, but I didn't realize that I was sexually assaulted until I was a teenager because we don't talk about it, right? So I was um, on that. And so, um, but that has really guided my, you know, my self-esteem and all these things when I was a teenager, which it kind of got me to um, my first relationship, serious relationship was with, um, who became my ex-husband. And 
Um, and it was, um, you know, I wish the so, so, social media and, you know, all this, like they would teach you what healthy relationships are and healthy relationships. And so it, um, you know, it just made me believe that it was okay what was happening to me, that I was not a, being a good partner, a good wife. And I stayed in this relationship until I almost lost my life. And so, and that's when I decided to leave um, with my two children. Um, they, at that time, they were two, uh, my youngest was two months old and my oldest um, was 15 months old. So, um, but, but yeah, at that point, I didn't know there was services, resources, nothing in the state of Utah. And so, and also being a first generation immigrant to this country, I was so scared of like, what, you know, what can happen to me? Can he keep the kids? You know, all the stuff that went in there. So, yeah. Wow. So two months and 15 months old and you're getting out of the situation. Let me back up a little bit, though. So when you were younger and you went through the sexual abuse in your homeland of Venezuela, you didn't know that it was not normal, which most kids that are young don't know. They think, oh, everybody's going through this until maybe you start to see, oh, this isn't normal. Is that right. what happened for you when you were a teenager or how did you come to that realization? So um, and I kind of so it was um, a school bus driver. And um, and so I, I knew there was something wrong about it and it made me feel not good. And I always would beg my parents not to go in, in the bus driver. And I would do that. But I was like, nope, you need to go. You ride those things. And um, he would take me or another girl last. Even if he had to drive longer, he would take us, drop us off last. And that's when this the situations will happen. But um, until I was a teenager, I was just having a sleepover with a friend. And she started sharing about what had happened to her as a child and then I was like hold on so this happened to me and she's like that's not okay what happened to you and so that's when I realized that it was not okay it was you know it was a conversation with another you know with my friend at the time that sleepover that I realized what had happened to me was it was sexual assault like it was not because I was too ashamed to tell my parents because my parents you know, it also, I felt kind of dirty, if not, not kind of, but I felt dirty. I felt like something was wrong with me. Maybe I should not wear the skirts that I was wearing because I was in a school that you had to wear skirts because it was a private school. And so you, you know, you, you kind of, you know, you start questioning those things, but I didn't know what was happening. And in my home, culturally, like, we didn't talk about like sexual assault or anything like that. And so, um, and so, and then, and right after, I think it was after that is when we moved to the United States. And so I think of that, that break of time, I didn't really talk about it because now I had to deal with other things, right? Now I'm a first generation immigrant. We came from having, um, like having been in a private school, having, a chauffeur having all these things to not having anything sleeping in the floor uh you know not knowing if we have food the next day so you know so there was different things that happened at that point that I think I didn't really process it until that sleep night and sleepover and then um then I realizing that and then when but I didn't talk she was the only person I told and so then um, because I was ashamed. Then I was, now I switched from like, I felt dirty to like, now I'm ashamed. This happened to me, all this stuff. Um, and I didn't, I didn't talk about it. So then when I was with, and then maybe it was a couple of years later that I met my abuser, my ex-husband. And, um, and then I was in a situation that I was being sexually assaulted, but I didn't understand that a part, a husband could rape you I didn't know that was not okay so once again it was because I wish that we could have that conversation right like in culturally and you know now we have more but at that time we didn't talk about you know if it's not okay you think that's part of your job as a wife as a partner you know and so those things so 
yeah, so just kind of that stuff. But it was something that I didn't talk about it until later. Wow. So I can understand the cultural thing. Plus, it's a generational thing. Right. You know, I think now with the Me Too movement and uh, well, that really kind of broke everything open, I think, where people, you know, with celebrity status were now saying something and it was being more, um, you know, media was covering it and, and it seemed like it, other people wanted to come out and have a voice. Mm-hmm. But if you look at, you know, even back in the 90s, early 2000s, a lot of times it was swept under the rug. It wasn't right. something that people talked about. So because you, as you were talking about this, I thought, well, why didn't your parents ask you why you didn't want to get on the bus? And then you say, well, because he's doing something to me while I'm on the bus. But I can understand where you were coming from at that time to not say right. did, he, did he ever tell you not to say anything to anybody? He or she? I don't bus recall. Driver? So I- you know, it's kind of funny because I remember parts of it. Mm-hmm. And I think this is the beauty and sadly, the not the beauty else of our bodies, right? Like we we protect like memories and things like that, Um, you know. And so I remember things as getting in the bus. I remember the feelings of like, please, please don't be the last one that you dropped me off today. Please be the other person, you know. And now I'm feeling guilty because I'm sure that that was happening also to the other girl because it was only me and her. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, um, but it was kind of like, the, you know, those, you know, that that feeling. But I don't remember. I remember parts of it. Um, but then I, I think, you know, blocked it. And I, in some, sadly, I have done that too, which they call dissociation, right? Like you dissociate from that that situation is your own self. Um, But I did that also with my, the hands of my abuser. I I can remember things very clearly and I can remember things half, you know, but it's it's something that we do as survivors to be able to protect and be able to go on, um, sadly. Yeah. So that first time your ex-husband did what he did, assaulted you, we'll say. And and I love that you brought up the fact that people think, well, if you're married to the person and they rape you, because that is such a thing. I mean, consent is still consent, whether you're married or you're not. I think that's something that really needs to be brought to light more so than it is already. When that first incident happened, what happened to you inside emotionally and mentally when that happened? Did you think, oh, I need to go run and tell somebody I need to get away? Did you think, oh, it's a one-time thing and it'll never happen again? Well, and no, I, it was, I was raised very much in the, what happens behind doors, stays behind behind closed doors. Yeah. Yep. And I was raised that if your partner um, or your husband, um, you know, um, go somewhere else is because you're not a good enough wife. Like, you know, I, I was raised that way, right? Like, or, or not, I don't know if it was raised that way, but that was the message that I was being intaking from, you know, the, the individuals, the adults around me and all that. The first time my, the first abuse that happened to me was a slap. Um, and of course words were else, you know, it was like in a daily basis, but um, so psychological and all that. But when it came to the sexual assault, um, you know, it was, I felt frozen and I felt like, um, you know, like I had to do this, but I, I was not okay with it. You know what I mean? I didn't want it, but I felt like I had to do it because that was my position at that time, right? Like it was my job as the the partner. And then, then I became the wife and, um, and because I became pregnant before getting married, I was already felt like I had this, um, what's the word in English, but like, you know, I was, uh, culturally, I was like, that was very shameful for my family. Like a scarlet letter is what I'm thinking. Like a scarlet letter. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I already, I didn't want to push anything else anymore. And, um. You know, I, I didn't want to, I didn't want to do anything else that it could make me look already shameful or bad because of already what I did. I put already my family through, right? Culturally. I don't know. And I said that because that was the ways I was like, it was like, like, we don't talk about it that you got pregnant before you got married. I love that you've brought this point up because I think a lot of people don't realize it's not just generational. It's also cultural, as you're mentioning. You know, you were taught 
to be a woman in a relationship in a certain way versus maybe if you grew up in a completely different country, America, for an example, right? I'm sure things are a lot different since you've been here to see that. So um, yeah, I mean, that's something that I think we don't think about. It's not that you are threatened necessarily, or, you know, I'll kill you if you say this or whatever. It was more so just culturally how you were brought up. Mm -hmm. So that's a very interesting point. So how long did you endure this abuse from your ex before you finally left? Oh my goodness. So it started when we were dating. Um, and then of course we got married and I want to say it was about two years, two, mm-hmm. three years. Um, and, um, and it was the, you know, and it was, it was interesting because there was many times that people would say, well, why didn't you leave? You know, that question, which I dislike that. I dislike that question so much because I'm like, what is it that you need to be able to move on? Right. Or what is it instead of saying why you're leaving? You know, uh, but it was um, I wanted both of my children. Well, first I was, you know, my first child, like I wanted my child to have a mom and dad. Then I became pregnant again um with my child being a baby so it was like six seven months old and I became pregnant again um and already I was so concerned that now we're bringing another child it's very unhealthy relationship home right but it it could like once again and and I don't know if it, it could be also culture but also could be your beliefs and your traditions and all that stuff right so mom and dad my I wanted my children to have a mom and dad Mm-hmm. And um, because, you know, I, I didn't want to do anything else already will shame my family, right? Like I got pregnant. Here we go. Got married. I did everything backwards. So in my mind was like, I wanted to be able to, um, you know, to to have this. And so I, I, I hold on to it. I knew it was not OK, but I didn't know who to talk to. Mm-hmm. Um my abuser was um, very savvy because he would hit me in places that it was hidden. His favorite place was in the head, right? Like, and then he will say, no, I didn't hit you. So I started questioning myself, am I being hurt? But then I will feel bruises or I will feel things. Um, and I knew that wasn't okay, but I just, I didn't know who to talk to. And yeah. if I, and I knew that if I, um, then it, if I contact law enforcement or anything like that, it will look bad on me. It will look bad in our home and probably we would need to pay for it too. You're right. And we were leaving check to check or less than check to check because he was going to school and I was working. And so to me, it was like, you know, we financially, we couldn't have done it. So either, you know, and, and, and I know yeah. that sounds Kind of weird the saying, like, well, I would have to bail him out. But that's what I was processing at that time, too. But I contacted law enforcement and they came and did something. Then he's going to get in trouble and I'm going to have to, like, bail him out. And then the baby will not be. I will be alone. And, you know, and what is my family going to think about it? So I process all these things while I was going through that. Did he ever do anything to your kids? Um, No. <laughs> Um, when he would get mad, I would jump in in front. So he would not harm the babies. Um, he, he did try doing stuff while I was pregnant with them, um, to me. Um, but it, you know, but it was not, um, you know, but I, then after when I left them, the courts gave him full visitations because there was no police report. There was no comments or anything. So when he had him, I had no control. Um, and so I wish at that point, I wish I had contact law enforcement. I wish, you know, that I had been a, a trail because then, you know, he wouldn't have so easily to have the children. Um, my, you know, it's interesting because my children are adults now and they share with me what he did he 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 was smart he didn't physically assaulted them because he knew they were coming back with us basically psychologically and emotionally scarred them so bad that yet to the adult they're still dealing with those things and you know and to me i i feel like i feel as a mom you know you know we tried to be so because i was protecting them when i was with him 
and and I felt that I was doing the right thing by having mom and dad, right? And so, and then when I decided that I knew it was the the day that I um I decided it was enough, law enforcement came and took pictures of my injuries, and he told me if how bad the assault had been, that if he um the children had been there, then the children had been removed, and so that was the thing that it made me be done because I was like, I was not going to put, I was not going to lose my children because of him. And so, but I wish that I, you know, I, at that point I had no way of protecting them when he, they were with him. Um, and I, and I wish too that I know it's kind of going a little bit, but uh, away, but I wish that when I was going to pediatricians with my kids, or I wish I've gone to, my doctors will be Jewian or whatever. I know they saw bruises. I know that because, you know, but I wish that someone had explained to me the damage or the effects of a child being um, raised in a home that is unhealthy versus to a home that is healthy and is loving and all that. Because just, you know, their survival, you know, they're always like, um, even as babies, they would just watch TV without like paying attention, but that was their protection, right? Like they would like hide. And the first time I brought my youngest to home, um, my oldest was barely starting to walk. And um, when my abuser in the past would, you know, decide like when he would just explode and he will harm me, um, I will push the baby aside so he wouldn't touch the baby and um and sometimes I would put a blanket over him so I was thinking they would not but of course they will hear everything but when the baby arrived the first time my youngest my oldest put a blanket over the baby oh wow so immediately it was kind of like a protection thing Mm -hmm. and so and he was only they were only what they're 15 months old so to me, it was like, or 13 months old, like, it was such a thing that even we don't talk about that, right? Like, I wish that. So, but yeah, so, um, you know, I, I just wish that, I don't know, I would have had education. I wish that, you know, there was more. And that's why I do the work that I do now is because yeah. I want to be able to, you know, I think it's so important. So, so you think if you would have realized sooner that your kids could have been taken away, you would have left a lot sooner. Yeah. And that was kind of the straw, if you will, that broke the camel's back, yeah. so to speak. Because, yeah, because I felt that mm, the bruises, the words he would say to me, the all that stuff, it was to me. I didn't think it was affecting everyone involved. Mm. Um, And also, I didn't realize how it affected also my loved ones. And the reason I'm saying this is because um, so there was one incident when I was pregnant with my youngest one that um, my little sister, my youngest little sister was in um, in the apartment with me. My ex-husband would like sometimes leave because it was like parties happening. And I thought he was not coming that weekend because he was going to a party and um, he showed up. And I knew at that point when he had this look like I knew that things were not be good. Um, and then he took us to our bedroom and he assaulted me there. And um, I had told my little sister to go into the bedroom with my child, my youngest, I mean, my baby at that time, my oldest. And, hi, you know, don't come out. And um, I guess, uh, you know, I learned this later on that my little sister um, did view some of it or witness some of it. And um she started from that night on, she started having nightmares and all this stuff, which it triggered, and I'm not a doctor, but what I have learned is that it triggered her psychosis um, and bipolar, and she couldn't deal with the nightmares she was having and all that, and my little sister took her life oh, at 15 wow. years old. And um, and then my, my dad also took his own life because he couldn't, and you saved his little daughter um, when he found her. And so to me, domestic violence just didn't happen to me, but it happened to my family, right? Like it affected so much more than just. Um, so I think that is um, is something that, you know, that I wish that 
I guess education, I wish it was in schools, right? Like we talked right. about healthy, unhealthy, like all this stuff. That's a whole other, that's a whole other episode. <laughs> of that. But, um, but I just wish that, you know, that um, I have been educated about it because I think that I, you know, I wish, of course, I think now I wish they have done so many different things. Wow. And, uh, yeah. I'm still like processing your sister and your dad. That's that's crazy. The ripple effect that happened from that. Yeah. So when you decided to leave your abuser, your ex-husband, how did you leave? Did you escape in the night? Did you just did you have somebody say, hey, we'll help you. Here's resource. What happened? So after the officer gave me. Um, so my abuser parents came and took him before law enforcement came and my par- my dad was there. Um, and when the, the officer told me that I could lose my children and all this stuff, he gave me a piece of paper to go to the court, um, you know, to kind of like to go and get a protective order and all this stuff. And at that point, I didn't feel safe any longer. So I went to my parents' house, um, and, um, my parents had, you know, bought a house and they had a basement that it wasn't finished, but me and the kids could go in there. So for a few, I want to say, and, and I apologize, I can't recall the, like the time because it was like such a like, you know. A but, whirlwind. <laughs> yeah, whirlwind. So it happened on a Saturday. Monday, I was getting a protective order. First time ever sharing my story. Um, Then we had to go to court, to, to, you know, and the protective order was put in place. Uh, but no one really explained what the protective order was. So even after the hearing, I remember my abuser following me to the house. Um, oh, and, wow. And I didn't even call law enforcement, you know, and um, because I didn't know that, you know, I knew he had to be good and he would call me and everything else. And I still didn't because no one really explained what it was. Um, you know, we have done better. Of course, this is many years. I'm not going to tell how old I am. <laughs> I'm old. <laughs> um, but, uh, but I just, you know, I, I, you know, I went to my parents and, um, and I was able to stay with them for, you know, which it gave me some safety, felt safe having my parents there. Um, and then I chose to then have my own apartment and all this stuff with my babies, because, you know, after you've been an adult and you have lived on your own and it's kind of hard going back to your parents and, and more when you're dealing with your own traumas and your own things and all this stuff. So um, and then I had my apartment. Um, and, you know, it was it, it was kind of interesting because it felt when I moved to the United States as a teenager, we had nothing. Um, and then when I left my abuser, I had nothing really like my children, their stuff, you know, a few things. But then I moved to my own apartment. We had one bed that me and my babies share. But my kids had everything they needed. But we had no microwave. We had no couch. You know, we. We we it was like a picnic every night with or how we ate and stuff like that. But that's how we was surviving, right? Like, um, but that was more important to me that we were safe. Um right. and so yeah, but you know, that was kinda it was a survival. Talk about resilience. I mean, not only the resilience of coming to another country and then going through what you've been through, but the resilience of being a mother trying to protect her children, starting from the bottom. You started from the bottom twice. Yeah. When you first came here and then again, when you had the courage to finally leave. So have um, you remarried since then? Yes, I have a wonderful husband. Um, My husband adopted my children back in, I want to say 2006. Mm. Um, my ex-husband, um, didn't want to pay child support. Didn't want to, you know, that, that lovely conversation. Of course not. Yeah. And, <laughs> um, and so he gave the rights of my children and, um, my husband adopted them. And, um, it was so, you know, I did want him to have some contact. And even in my letter, when we did all the paperwork, saying, so, you know, I'm going to take them to. I mean, you know, I, I, I like McDonald or movie. That's fine. You know, but I because the children knew who he was. And so I felt, you know, it was more that. But he chose not to. Until this day, he doesn't even acknowledge us when we see him in the streets, which is fine. Um, It did hurt my children at the start. But now they're like, yeah, they have a wonderful dad um, that loves them and protects them. And 
Um, and even when they came out, they came out first to my husband. And I was like, Yay, I like it. <laughs> so, um, you know, so they have that relationship, which I love that. Um, yeah. And he's been an amazing, you know, um, I have had a lot of medical issues that I didn't realize from my assault and from because I didn't go and get medical care after. And I didn't know these things, how trauma can affect your brain and that disconnection between your brain and the stomach and all this stuff. So I eat through a feeding tube now. But my husband has been just like the best caregiver um, and so supportive. And I still have nightmares sometimes. And um, he'll like wake me up and are you okay? You know, so we, I'm grateful that I have that because I don't know where I will be, you know, and, you know, and I'm grateful I was able to leave because I will tell you, I did think about going back with my abuser um, after I left him because of that. Once again, it was playing in my head about my children, you know, um, well, first I had no way of protecting them any longer when he was with them. So I thought about going back because that way I could protect my kids when they were with him. But what stopped you? Um, it was, I, I did go on a date with him one time and it was the name calling and everything else. And I was wow. just like, I can't do this. I, it was, and I'm grateful whatever it was in my brain, the, in the universe, whatever we, you know, everyone believes, but it's like, it reminded me, I'm like, you're going to get out in a body bag next time. And so that was uh, good. And, and he promising that he had change and all this stuff. And then. Um, when I went and I, he had not, he, he was still the same person. And so that, that stopped me. So you mentioned you eat through a feeding tube mm -hmm. and I want to transition into our next piece of our conversation. Cause time is flying by. I know. Um, <laughs> I, I want to talk about the cancer piece. Yeah. You, you don't have a feeding tube because of cancer. No, no, no. Okay. I have my feeding tube because of the trauma my body and door and everything else that I went through with my, uh, my domestic violence and with my abuse. Yeah. I say that because trauma is literally a cancer in your body yeah. until you learn to expel it and whatever modality you use mm -hmm. plenty of people who have developed cancer because of childhood trauma. So I yeah. didn't know if that was hand in hand for you, but I want to talk about your new um, first of all, <laughs> everything you just told me, I'm floored. <laughs> like I thought my story was incredible. Yours is just, and, and there's no comparing abuses. Or no, no, no. Like Everyone, but, we have our own journeys, right? Yes. We all have like, yeah, similarities yeah. and we have differences, but yeah. Yeah. But you have just really come out on top and the people can't see you right now. Like I can, but you are just shining a light. Oh, like it's like coming you. out of your head or something. Uh, <laughs> but, so, like, you're so good. You're so cute. Thank you. <laughs> you're so welcome. So I want to move on to the cancer piece though. How in the world did you develop a passion for people that are overcoming cancer. And then it's called, remind me of the, the nonprofit again, it's called Inc. It's called Inc. Against Cancer, cancer, Against Cancer. Well, yeah, Inc. Against Cancer Foundation. Okay. Um, so, so my husband's mom passed away of cancer, never met her. Um, I am honored that I wear her ring. So oh. that kind of stays with me so he can. Um, but um, I was, uh, you know, working in the social justice world. You don't... Um, we don't make a lot of money. So I had to have a second jobs. <laughs> and I, um, my off time, you know, at that time, my second job was as a security. And um, I know it sounds because I'm like five. <laughs> so it's funny, but. Um, You're going to so kick them in the shin. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, no, they, you know, um, I would use the media, you know, let's talk, you PG know, calm down people. Yes. Yeah. So um, the advocate part that I was. And so um, where I am advocate, but the, um, so I, my, I gained this amazing um, security family, which I'm so honored to be part of that family. And um, in one particular, um, my I, I call him my brother. Um, we're not biological, but, you know, um, my brother Wolf. And he was um, he was head security for several of the venues here in Utah. And very, you know, a lot of people have so much respect because he has like the biggest heart. But, you know, but at the time he was like very like to the point. And, um, and we became siblings like instantly. And when he had cancer, 
um, he, you know, he couldn't work. And if you don't work in that field, then you don't make money. And he was under the age of 35. And um, so when he, you know, he he was married, he had just gone divorced, I believe. Um, yeah, he had just gone divorced. I'm sorry, I'm processing my mic. Yeah. <laughs> and um, but he um had, you know, like he was like, I'm I've looked for resources to help me cover this, and there's nothing. And as he was going through chemo, all this stuff, he had colon cancer. Um, so there was not, you know. You don't choose what type of cancer you get and at what age you get it. I, I it, it does not discriminate. Right. And so when we were going through here, you know, everything, he was like, I just need money. I need help with with paying some bills and things like that. So um, he had a lot of the tattoo. He was tattooed all over. Um, and so he we brought all his he's like, oh, they all owe me. Like he was telling me all this name was up tattoo artist that. He had led in concerts or whatever. He had done something for them, you know, whichever. So so um, we contacted them and they all came together, which are amazing individuals. And um, we were able to do a first event and we have music. We have a lot of online auction stuff and everything else. And we were able to raise enough funds to help cover um, some of his bills, but also hospice for him part of his hospice because whatever insurance he had at the time it would cover for him to share a room with someone and he was like i am not sharing with it with a stranger why i'm dying of cancer like you know and so i remember he wrote a letter we we said it at the event and then when we when we got back to the hospital um to the hospice after the event and share, like we did a video and everything else. He asked me, he's like, sis, can you please, and my husband was there too. He's like, can you guys please continue this in my memory? You need to help others, especially children, of course. But he was like, but he wanted to help everyone. And in his memory, and I couldn't say no to my brother. Like, you know, he, he just... You know, sometimes you choose your families, right? Like we are born with families, but you choose your families. And, you know, and sometimes we become closer to those individuals that we choose as family members, right? And so he he was, yeah. And um, we, you know, we say, of course, we will do it. And so um, now we're, you know, I, I think about it. So now we're in our seven annual, this July 8th and I, we're going to have our seven annual event. And we have just received over 91 new applications of people asking for help. Wow. Um, and so uh, my husband and I, and we have four other board members, um, we do this in our off time. We don't get paid. We work full-time jobs. And then we do this in our off time. Um, and so we support with last wishes for adults, um, you know, because there's no organizations there. We have helped you know, pay some gas, some rent, some, you know, gas money to go to your appointments, um, brand meals to the individuals. Um, you know, we help Christmas also. Last Christmas, we helped over 30 cancer warriors um, and their oh. family members. Um, so we we know that cancer just doesn't affect the, fam the individual, but affect the family, right? Like the direct, so we help the direct family. So if it's a child that has cancer, we help the siblings and the parents too. Um, or if it's a parent, the children. Um, but um, you know, we when um COVID happened, um, we had a couple of little cancer warriors that were supposed to go um with Make a Wish, which Make a Wish is an amazing organization, but because of COVID, they couldn't send them to uh to Hawaii. And so we brought the parents called me and they were like telling me how ki the kids were so sad they couldn't go to Hawaii. So we brought Hawaii to them. So oh, uh, awesome! It is. We brought the uh, Pacific Islander community. Maliolele Dance Group is an amazing group, but they came and they did the fire dancing. They did everything for the kids, and it was just, it was amazing. Um, we one of the little kids. Um, well, she was a teenager. Uh, Maddie, she has passed, but we were able to, um, you know, her mom called me after that, after we had brought the dancers and everything and said she was still so sad that she wanted to see the ocean. 
one more time. So we were able to, um, with some donations and having hospice on call and everything with the parents, we were able to cover for them to drive from here, Utah to um, California for her to see the ocean. And so she even went to the Redwoods and everything else. So the last pictures they have with their family is at the ocean and all that. She passed like two weeks after they came back. Oh, um, but wow. she got to see her ocean one more time. And so we, you know, we we tease that we're not, we can't do big things. But um, we, but we say that we're like the Affleck of Make-A-Wish. <laughs> we can do little things. <laughs> um, but it's just, you know, those stuff. But it is, you know, our youngest is two years old that we're supporting right now. And our oldest is 80 years old. It doesn't matter what type of cancer you have um, and what age you have. We'll support even little ways. Um, we have been able to like um, the Utah Grizzlies are a great supporter of ours. So they do a last uh, like a game for us. And they um, we have always uh, we have cancer warriors to go and drop the ceremonial puck. Um, and then they give them free tickets so the families can have a break and all this stuff. And we also have had um, now we're going to have a Salic Bees on June 20th, uh, June 10th, excuse me. We're going to have a game with Salic Bees that they're going to be doing similar to what the Grizzlies are doing. Um, and uh, Utah Rugby. So we're trying to partner to also give experiences to these families. Um, you know, you know, we're just trying to think of different ways. But so our big event, um, it will be July 8th, 8th and 9th at the Fair Park. Um, we're hoping to have a between, oh my goodness, 20 to 30 tattoo artists. Um, and we're going to have live music, vendors, all this. 100% of the money, the donations go to Cancer Warriors. We That's why we all work full-time jobs. And so the only way that we're able to hold events and do things is through sponsorship. So we always are looking for sponsors that can help us. So that way... Our goal is always not to, you, you know, not to be able to touch any of the donation money that is truly so it goes to those families because it's so important to us that we are doing that, um, you know. Um, and and also at the end, like a, a lot of times when we, well, not a lot of times, always when we do our events, the tattoo artists and anyone that was involved, like vendors and all that are invited. We do like a big barbecue. And they get to meet the families that we give the checks to. So that way they truly know their hard work, their donations, everything, who is going to. Because it, it is hard sometimes you donate and you don't know where you're going. But but it's not easy. <laughs> but I kept the word to my brother. So I'm like, I'm trying. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's so incredible. So this this event here, and we'll be sure to post this um, yeah. on the show notes coming up in July. I'm going to be in Iceland. Otherwise, oh, I well, would be there. I leave on the 8th of July. No, uh, well, next time we'll have other events you can participate. So don't worry. <laughs> well, I would love to be there. I'd love to support any of your events. But so is Thank it you. that a, a tattoo artist comes? Mm-hmm. They set up, they do tattoos. You pay for the tattoo, but you're not really paying the artist. It goes into the fund. Is that how well, it works? You'll pay, yeah. So what we do just to make sure it's all clean and there's no questions about anything. I'm, I, I'm all about, you know, maybe he's working in the criminal justice. Yeah, you know, transparency but, here. Yeah, yeah. transparency is 100% <laughs> for me. So um, the artists go through an application process because we want to have the top of the top, the, yeah. you know, best artists. Um, because people normally come is something... You've been affected. Everyone's been affected by cancer one way or another. So we go ahead and we make sure of that. And so um, we want to have that. You pay the artist. The artist at the end of the night, they um, we request the artist to give us 50% because we know they're taking two days of their lives and they're buying, you know, they're paying for all the, the, ink the and supplies and everything else. Um, and so we ask for 50%. I will tell you the 80% or more of the, of the tattoo artists, they donate 100% of their money. Um, they, they give that to us because wow. they, you know, and, and, and many of these artists are been with us for, you know, since we started seven years ago. So they truly know that, that we, what we say we do, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> my husband teases that I, he'll never be rich because I give my money away to everyone. <laughs> 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 like he'll never have a Harley or whatever, but because I, but you know, because I'm like either social justice or <laughs> on this, but, um, but we, you know, we just want to make sure that, you know, that 
the people really see. So the artist will do that. You pick, you get artists, you'll sign up. It will be first come, first serve. Um, we'll, we have volunteers and they're amazing volunteers will help and sign up. They'll get a text to you. We'll have food trucks. We'll have activities so people can just hang out um, and everything else. And so, you know, and we're going to have music. We'll have School of Rock this year. So we'll have like all these things and we'll have other bands and stuff. So people can just kind of and wait till it's their tattoo time and they can get their tattoo. And um, but yeah, but once again, is it's not making money is well, it is for the cancer warriors, but our right. goal is also bring awareness because I think it's so important and also bring the whole world of art and music and tattoo artists that a lot of times there people make assumptions about it. Mm-hmm. And I will tell you that community, you know, I work in both of them, you know, the social justice and the, you know, I'm in the art world too. And like, they're like the biggest teddy bears, the biggest, they will, take their shirt out of their bag like they just want to help the community they want to make a change so have yeah. you gotten your tattoo yet for was it Wolf? oh my goodness i oh my goodness you can't well i'll show you so you can kind of see i am oh, tattooed wow. i have like a whole sleeve yeah and um i have more tattoos <laughs> um i'm like i'm starting and then um we oh and we also have our ink our own set of ink now so world famous um and fifth avenue tattoo supply here in utah they came together and they supported us and they created um ink uh the warrior set so we have seven and i'll have to show you that but um we have Six colors, six, I believe it's six colors. So they all name after cancer warriors that have passed away. The dark blue is named after my brother Wolf. And then wow. the um pink one is named after my mother-in-law, Lizzie. And so um, but then the yellow is after Maddie, the little cancer warrior that I was sharing. And and so all of them are named. So that way we keep the name of our cancer warriors alive. Um, but also so people can go and get tattoos with their loved ones' names on it, They're those colors, which is very, uh, and 100% of the money comes to us. Um, and so we're going to be doing other sets um, to be able to and name them after other cancer warriors. Sadly, they have lost their fight. And then once again, it's just kind of make a change. That's all we're trying to do. Girl, I'm like trying not to cry right now. <laughs> like what you are doing is just so, it's beyond comprehension that you could just come up with this out of an experience with somebody who touched your life so deeply and what you're doing for other people. I mean, it's just, I literally have chills about it and it's, it's (laughs) incredible. It is completely incredible. I mean, I had no idea. I knew I was going to be flabbergasted talking to you, but you (laughs) are just amazing. What's the, what's the five-year plan for you? What do you see happening in the next five years? You know, um, I think it's sharing more of my story. Um, you know, I just did something with Futures Without Violence to train medicals, um, to do videos, to train um, medicals on how to work with individuals that have been victims of domestic violence, sexual assault, or human trafficking. Um, so we don't fall in the cracks of the system and someone doesn't go through what I went through and end up with a feeding tube, right? Um, so we're, I'm doing that. And so I like to tell more of my story in that part with my domestic violence. And then of course I would love to take ink against cancer nationally. So tattoo artists, um, we, they can support their own communities, which we do, you know, cause we have cancer warriors all over, um, United States too. And so, but it's like, and we have a lot of artists and musicians that support us nationally. Um, for example, Megadeth and, you know, like, I know it's kind of funny, but we have, you know, some <laughs> lovely um, Vista Blanco, like bands that are really supportive of us. And so, um, but we want to be able to, um, you know, just just continue that so we can help as many people. Um, and I'm my goal will be to, when someone's asking for help, I can write up that check and send it to them instead of having to wait for the event. Um, you know, so I, I, I dream about it. I dream, but you know, so, um, and I would love to do that full time, the foundation, of course. Um, and then do, um, I have done the work with victims of crime for 20 years, almost. 
So I feel like I need to now move to that to be part-time and then do this full-time. That's, that will be my goal. But, you know, the yeah. universe has other decisions sometimes, right? Well, I'm sending out all the positive vibes that <laughs> that yeah. happens. Do you know a number of how many people you've helped through the last seven years? Like roughly? Oh, has to be over a hundred in different ways that we have helped. That's incredible. Yeah, I saw so. a write-up in the paper where when women are getting mastectomies for breast cancer, they're getting tattooed over those scars. Mm -hmm. Is that part of what you guys are doing? So, yes, we have uh, the tattoo artists that we work with are experts uh, about that, too. So if someone doesn't want to go to the event, of course, because they're going to be like little three three to five inch design, because we want to get as many tattoo. Yeah. We'll connect them with a tattoo artist here at the top of the top and to make sure that they can do that. If there's a cancer warrior that wants to do that, we call them warriors because, you know, they're they're fighting. Right. Yeah. Um, but um you know or if there's even a family member that has lost a loved one or they're a survivor that just wants a tattoo that you know makes it we'll connect them with the tattoo artist um and you know sometimes some of our tattoo artists will you know we have cover it you know people does have to go through an application process so we because we want to respect, we want to keep our 51C3. <laughs> yeah. So we have to go through, you know, the channels and that. Yeah. But, um, and then, um, then after that, you know, if they're approved and if they're one of our, can we call it cancer warriors, then they, you know, we, we, sometimes we are able to cover those costs, you know, with the donations and stuff like that. So they don't have to pay for their tattoo if it's a cancer warrior. Um, but if it's, um, someone that just wants to get tattooed, but wants a portion to come to us, tattoo artists will do that too. Um, and so we have a listing of our artists that support us and they're amazing. Like I said, we want people that have good memories and something that, because it's something you keep, you know, is an art, yeah. it's something that you keep, it's your story that you right. put in your body. So I also have a half sleeve. Okay. See, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You and I have a lot of comfort, Like We do. <laughs> We're like soul sisters or something. There you go. <laughs> Love it. All right. So tell me real quick, how can somebody, number one, find you on social media, you or your foundation? Uh, yeah. Two, do you have a website? Three, do you have a place somebody could sign up to come to this event in July? Give me all the details. Okay, perfect. So, um, you know, you can look for me. I'm in, in Instagram and, you know, all the social medias. Um, my name, Hildegard Pinnick. You can always look at that. Um, or uh, Ink Against Cancer. If you look at Ink Against Cancer, our logo is the wolf eyes. Um, oh my god! And so this is our logo, and that's wow. because I wanted to um, keep my brother's uh, story going, right? And his name. So you'll see the wolf eyes. That's us. Um, so ink against cancer. So you just go. I mean, we're in Twitter, social media, all that. And then if you follow us in, in you know, in one of those social medias, you'll find out all the events that we're doing. And also, we're um, if you go on our website, uh, inkagainstcancer.com, then um, we have in there, like, if you're a tattoo artist and you want to apply to participate, you, there's still is till May 1st, um, the applications. If you're about, someone that wants to volunteer, there's an application volunteer. All the applications are in there. Um, or you can email me at inkagainstcancer at gmail.com. Pretty easy. We're, you know... Um, all information, you know, we, we try to be as transparent. Um, also, if there's someone that is in need, you know, we right now we have received 91 applications. So we're in, in the process of reviewing all these applications. Um, but if, you know, we can do little things, but, you know, if someone needs, you know, we're happy to send the application. They may just have to be put on in a wait until, you know, because we can cut so much the pie. <laughs> yeah. So hopefully we'll do We'll make a lot of money. We can give everyone the checks, you know, after the event. Um, but we always do events. But we also we can do tickets for the families to go to a to a game or you know, um, just little stuff like that. So I don't know. We yeah, we just tried to do. <laughs> so. What if somebody just wants to give you money? Is that easy? Um, yeah. So oh website? my gosh, yes. <laughs> um, so Bemo, um, Ink Against Cancer, Cancer Warriors Foundation. You can find us in there. Um, also you can just go in our website, inkagainstcancer.com and there's there several places they'll say donate and you can click in there and donate. Um, we are 51C3. So your, your donation is a tax write off. 
Um, but yeah, or, you, you know, and, and our address is in the application. So you can mail a check too, if you want to, if you want to be a sponsor, we're still looking for sponsors for annual events. So that way we don't touch any of the funding that goes to the families, right? Cause we want to do that. Um, and we like to take care of our volunteers and all that. So we have several, um, levels, um, of, um, of sponsorship starting at 300 to 2,500. Um, and so if anyone wants to sponsor us, you know, we are so in need of that right now. Um, we will love that. So I will be sending in a donation. So everybody listening, I'm doing it. <laughs> you guys need to do it as well. And I've got my own 501c3, but this I can get behind. This is awesome. Oh, thank you. And whatever we can support you too. So we're all a community, <laughs> right? Like we come together. Yes. Um, we can't do this alone. Um, right. I always say this, we, you know, we're all here, not because we're making money. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, it's care. a labor of love. Yeah. Yeah. So exactly. So we want to make a difference in someone's life um, and how little it is, how big it is. You know, that's what we want to do. Um, and that's why, you know, I tease that I never stop. But it's like I, I want to leave a mark. I, you know, I, I don't want people to go through. I hope that people don't go through what I went through in my views um, in my journey, which I'm still going through that journey. And then, um, you know, if someone has cancer journey, you know, we hope that, you know, they don't feel that they're alone either on that journey. That actually takes me into my final question before we do 20 questions. What do you hope the listener is going to take away from our conversation today? I really hope that they know that, um, you know, that you're not alone um, in this And, um, you know, that we all have our own story and, and it's your story. No one can take that away from you. Um, you know, if people don't want to believe it, that's their decision. You know, this is who you are. This is who makes you who you are. Um, either if it's the, the violence or, you know, you're going through your own cancer journey, whichever it is, it is your journey. You are the expert of your life. You know what you need. Um, but just know that there's people in this community. Sometimes we feel so isolated and we feel so alone that there's people that care who you are and, um, you know, and do reach out, you know, like I shared, I lost two individuals also to suicide and, um, life is not easy. I call it a roller coaster. There's ups and downs all the time, but, um, just know that, you know, I, I, it's easy to say this will pass because there's been days that I haven't seen that light, but just know that there's people that can relate to you and they and, and they want you to be here. Um, and so just know that, that you're not alone. And then there's, you know, just, yeah. Mm. Girl, I, I'm, I feel like I should go, oh, like I want to just cry. Okay, <laughs> keep it together. All right, <laughs> let's go ahead and go into our 20 questions portion, if you will. Okay. Choose a number between one and 20. Let's do three. Number three. Who was your famous childhood crush? Oh, my gosh. Okay. So, <laughs> so we all going to laugh about this. So, where I was growing up in the Caribbean, Menudo, right? Menudo. Oh, yeah. The hat, Ricky Martin was in that, right? Yeah. So, yes. I'll tell you this, this story. And it's kind of funny. But I was a very blessed girl that I got to go and watch Menudo practice and all this stuff. And I even went to the goodbye party of Ricky Martin when he left Menudo. So I was a very, uh, yeah, no. So, <laughs> so yes, Menudo was my crush when I was young. So and oh, Rick, I got great. to hang out with Ricky Martin and his nickname is Kiki. So, really? Yeah, his nickname is Kiki. Why? That's so random. I don't know. Well, Ricky, maybe Kiki, oh, Ricky, yeah. Ricky. Get, yeah. yeah. But yeah. So, and yeah, it was so funny. So yeah. That is awesome. Very, very cool. <laughs> well, Hildy, you are just such a lighthouse and you keep on yeah. shining that light because you are just a beacon for others to realize they too can overcome. Thank you for spending this time with me here today. No, thank you, you guys go, go support her organization, go follow her. I certainly am going to do so. Um, if this resonated with you, please give me a like or a share. I don't make money on this podcast. I actually pay to produce it. So, um, do me a favor, just hit the like button on all platforms, Stitcher, you know, iTunes, Spotify, all the places, wherever you're tuning in, share this with somebody you think might take something from it. And as always, you are worthy 
You are enough and keep on shining your light. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to Speak Loud. If this message resonated with you, please feel free to share it with anyone you feel could use the support. To find out more information about SHARE, our movement, and to join the cause, please visit sharethemovement.org. Until next time.